It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Six point five percent was it? Is is that what the current odds are of the Stanley Cup? Well, and you, if you look at the round by round progression, the Stanley Cup favorite is uh-huh. the Vancouver Canucks. Like what a time to be alive! I- Talking you through every goalie controversy, scoring slump, and draft lottery bust. This is the C Four Podcast on CanucksHockeyBlog.com. Here they are, the best starting lineup we could afford under the salary cap. Chris, Matt, Anna, and Adam. Welcome to another episode of the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast, brought to you by Anna and Chris. I'm Chris, she's Anna, and we're actually recording an episode this week, and hopefully we'll publish it. I should qualify that. We attempted to record an episode last week, and we were about two-thirds through yeah. uh, before we got into the F word. Anna, she burst into flames. Like we're talking about like, you know, full on fire uh, and she incinerated what was around her. The heat generated caused glass to shatter, water poured all over her laptop. Yeah, something like that. Or I'm incredibly clumsy. Um, put my glass of water on the other side of my desk than I'm used to. And yeah, threw it on my laptop and it was, it was pretty unfortunate, but sort of 10 minutes after it happened, I thought I'd gotten the majority of the moisture out, which in hindsight was kind of dumb, naive. Um, But we tried to record again. It sort of worked for a few minutes and then didn't work again. We tried one more time and then it was just like, no. (laughs) It was progressively getting worse. And I, yeah. there was a small part of me that was like, okay, I think at this point we're just going to call it. I don't care if we could possibly get it done just because the amount of work I would have had to have done in post-production to, to, yeah. to line it all up. I don't, I don't know if I would have had the time um, to get it done. We then had planned to record on the Monday. Uh, and when Monday rolls around, uh, I believe the technical term that you used for your laptop was buggered. Yeah. Yep, so. that, that'll be it. So um, I was basically told by technicians that it was beyond repair. Um, so mm. it working for a small amount of time was more fluke than anything else. Um, so, yeah, I'm on a loaner yeah. laptop right now. And unfortunately, that was a very expensive, clumsy mistake by me. But we're sort of back on track. I should be getting a new laptop in the next few days. Yeah. Well, if you you know want to help and uh, pay for Anna's new laptop, uh, you can go to support.c4podcast.com, which we should probably rebrand to from buy me a coffee to buy Anna a computer. <laughs> yeah, and every little helps, as my <laughs> compatriots at Tesco say. Yeah, well, the uh, the thing that you missed was us talking about the All-Star game, the Vancouver Canucks obviously having a pretty solid presence. You missed us talking about the fact that uh, Kuzmenko no longer a Canuck, uh, Elias. Is it Elias or Elias? Elias. So it's Eli- Elias Lindholm. Yeah, and Elias, Elias Petterson and yeah. Elias Lindholm. Elias Lindholm, now Vancouver Canuck. Practice uh, and makes he perfect. made a pretty... 
pretty uh, solid debut, um, which uh, we'll be able to to get into uh, within this week's episode. Um, Canucks are out in the road. Um, I mean, if you had heard us talking about this week that was, and we had covered it, uh, we would have told you that the Vancouver Canucks road trip was going to sort of probably be where it is right now. Like the number of points that the Canucks have acquired, I want to say matches up to what we had actually proposed. I mean, yeah, you, there's no proof of it. <laughs> as no, but that's lost to the but, ether. But yeah, I think this is pretty accurate to where we thought they'd be. And we thought we may be being a bit conservative, but um, oh, caution is in our nature. We are professional podcasters. This isn't the longest running Best Making Over Connects podcast for a reason, and it's because mm-hmm. we know what we're talking about. Uh, so we'll get into what's been going on there. Uh, they do eventually get to, to come home. Uh, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what's been going on with the Vancouver Canucks and what that means sort of as they proceed into the trade deadline into the end of the season. Uh, and uh, if there is actually depth available in Abbotsford to, to rely upon if the Vancouver Canucks, one, need to or two, have a deadline it doesn't allow for them the flexibility that they might like uh anywho um the other thing that we won't be talking about is the super bowl i just finished watching it uh and then ran downstairs to record a show uh the script which apparently had been leaked to uh political insiders in the united states uh, has somewhat come true did you see the tweet i like this is my only engagement with a super bowl i've just been intermittently checking twitter to see updates because mm-hmm. i wasn't going to watch but there was a tweet from the office of president biden yes with dark brandon um like as per, was it was it the yeah script, as, as it was as written or whatever one? yeah but you, you know what that's that yeah his, it's the fox news implying, right? conspiracy that like it's a pl- plot by the liberal media to get the and the president yeah who knows yeah this from a like yeah it's just utterly bizarre the whole thing like I thought hockey was weird, but once you get a really popular sport and a really popular singer and just like intersect those two worlds, chaos, madness. Yeah. But if there is one thing that I can complain about when it comes to the Super Bowl is Canadian simultaneous substitution. Um, For listeners who don't know it, you know, Canadian SimSub is, is that a Canadian network who carries the rights to content that's also available off of a U.S. network or U.S. channel has the right to create what's called simultaneous substitution, essentially replace the U.S. feed with their feed. So uh, CTV, they hold the rights to the Super Bowl uh, in uh, in Canada. And so they go and they place their feed over top of the U.S. feed, whichever U.S. network carries it at the time, whether it be uh, CBS, Fox, um, ABC, or NBC. I actually don't know who's in the mix right now for the U.S. networks. It's one of the four, three of the four. Now, not a big deal in normal cases, but Super Bowl is the commercials. Mm. So we, we get very few of the, you know, U.S. commercials that you would actually tune in to watch. Right. And two, because I would imagine CTV is looking to make some good money, knowing that they're going to have all these eyeballs, they're charging probably a significantly higher amount to all of the Canadian companies that might wish to buy ads. And they in turn maybe aren't as willing to spend as some of the U S brands are long story short. Um, if you're a big fan of crave, then like seat bell owned CD bone, whatever mm-hmm. subscription service, you got to see Crave, the same Crave ad over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Yeah, yikes. That so sounds, only yeah. Only time of year I'd watch the commercials, Super Bowl. Yeah, I guess you'll have to check them out on YouTube, but it's not as fun. I agree. But, but the problem is, is then with YouTube, you have to watch ads to see ads. Yeah, it's so true. It's very funny <laughs> actually going on YouTube to look for an ad. But I presume you caught Usher's halftime show. and I did. What did you think? I enjoyed that? it. I enjoyed it, but again, that music and Usher as an artist is sort of from, you know, my era, my generation. Yeah. Uh, like, I went and looked up the one when they had, like, Eminem, Dr. Dre. Um, 
also my generation yeah exactly like i looked up that show because i wasn't gonna watch the super bowl um and Mm -hmm. loved it like so much but like usher sure like it's okay but it's not necessarily something i'd go out my way for yeah and i uh, i i thought it was okay like i enjoyed it um, I, I know there's people like, oh, it wasn't any good. And then they're letting all drop. Like I'm comparing it to the Prince halftime show. Like, oh my God. Like, right. It's not like ha- upper echelon, but it was decent. Right. But yeah. it's, it's for me, I don't think anyone has seen Usher is at the same level Prince was right. right. Like, you know, there's, there's different sort of places that these artists get to maybe usher will eventually get to that point i don't think he's necessarily there and he is very talented but regardless uh i enjoyed it and that's what's most important Anna. what chris enjoys sure. uh what else do i enjoy talking about the vancouver canucks <laughs> so the vancouver canucks kicked off their road trip uh, by finding uh, their way to a carolina where they needed to take on the hurricanes uh when we were chatting in the episode that didn't make it air we had said that this game was either going to be indicative of the vancouver canucks maintaining the uh momentum they had going into the all-star break or potentially starting off slow because of one the break and two that the quarter of the team was in toronto for the for all-star festivities um vancouver canucks won three two uh, the thing about this game, however, is that uh, it's not like the Vancouver Canucks were dominant or, uh, quite frankly, in a position where it's like, oh, yeah, they're keeping the mo on their side. Yeah, it didn't feel like, oh, they're showing the haters after the All-Star break that they still got it. But, like, sometimes that can be what's like, impressive, right? It can just be like, okay. The, they won an ugly game. Like, that's honestly still impressive to me. Yeah. the You know, and how ugly was it? Well, the first goal that was given up is a shorthanded goal. The Vancouver Canucks, having gone so long in the season, having not given up a shorthanded goal, seem to have come to this realization themselves and feel it is unfair <laughs> uh, to not be as, you know, nice as other teams around them and are starting to give them up Two, uh, the Vancouver Canucks did require special teams play to get themselves goals, which that's what you would like to see. Uh, and credit to Lindholm who knows his role on the power play is to go yep. to the front of the net and make sure a stick hits the puck, which, yeah, like that's an underrated skill. Um, yeah, so he does seem to slot right in, and you would think that power play systems are maybe even, I don't know if, I was going to say harder to learn than, but maybe not. Maybe it's easier because they have the set roles, um, but it is a lot more about timing, so, and precision. Well, and, you know, come to think of it, if, let's say, Kuzmenko was on the, the first uh, unit power play when he was dressed, his role was not to stand in front of the net. Who, no, no. who was that? That was JT, right? Yeah. Which to me, that doesn't seem like the role you want JT Miller to play. Like you, I would prefer to see him on, on the half board, similar to where we would see Besser. Um, the fact that Lindholm can go and occupy the front of the net. Yeah. Actually, I feel provides better value. And it's not knocking Kuzmenko. It's just, I feel JT is a better version of what Kuzmenko would have been. And Kuzmenko is not the guy that you're going to put in front of the net. Yeah, it gets more value out of JT as well as providing a scoring option through Lindholm. Um, The other area that the Vancouver Canucks have seemingly um, decided isn't as important is uh, the penalty kill. First half of the season, penalty kill was pretty good. Got them to where they needed to go. Uh, As the season is getting longer in tooth uh well the vancouver canucks are of the opinion yeah if we let them in we know we can come back which they have been doing kind of still right yeah it's just a dangerous game to play because one we've seen non-special team scoring take a little bit of a hit and then two it's like yeah like what happens when scoring dries up like are the you know always solid Vancouver Canucks defense going to get to work? Like, that's a lot to ask, especially if Demko isn't having, like, his best performance. 
Yeah. Uh, regardless, though, they did get the 3-2 win. JT Miller scoring an even strength goal early in the third period. And the Vancouver Canucks then held on. Um, I don't know how to describe it as any other way um, than holding on. Mm-hmm. But a dub is a dub is a dub. So that sets them up for a game. I don't know. What is it? 17 now? Mm-hmm. Of the series, uh, Against yeah. the, the Boston Boston Bruins or I don't know. Um, I like how they had asked Connor Garland um, about the, the Bruins. And Connor had been i don't know i can't remember if the response was that he was in the rink to watch game eight no he was he meant to go game... to okay. game eight to wa- and he didn't and he said he stopped being a bruins fan when they didn't draft they didn't him draft. <laughs> yeah. i was just like obviously it makes sense that you stop being a fan of any particular team when you're drafted but the way he said it it's like no like screw them they didn't draft me so um but yeah even, like, he's smart enough to know, yes, this matters. Like, sometimes hockey players are really dumb about rivalries, and it's nice to see mm-hmm. someone pay attention even a little bit to them. Okay, you hear that Demko apologized to Swayman for not giving him a hug? <sighs> yeah, Damn that's you, so Demko. lame. But, like, who I actually... I mean, in was- fairness, it was it's probably true. He was probably in the zone, completely missed it, and came up and apologized. But I feel that... Thatcher needs to understand that what he did ingratiated him to all Vancouver Canucks fans just that little bit more. Right. And who I actually blame here, because sure, Thatcher a little bit, but like mainly the media. It's just like you don't have to have an answer for everything. Like yeah. that moment, like I think from the Canucks point of view, it's obviously really funny, but I never wanted anyone to ask Demko or Swayman about it. And like... Even from the Boston point of view, you could have just left it alone. Just be a moment in time. We don't have to solve every mystery, you know? Fair play. So, game gets underway. Uh, the uh, the line we all love gets out on the ice, generates a power play. Uh, early in the game, we're not t- like, I want to say that was like within like the first 20 seconds uh, was the, the Vancouver Canucks power play, right? Yeah. And, hey... They showed that they can produce results uh, just a couple of nights before. Uh, the problem is they also showed that they could allow another team to get results on the power play. And uh, 12 seconds after the penalty was called or whatever it was, Brad Marchand, everyone's favorite Boston Bruin, uh, scores a shorthanded goal on a bad Vancouver Canucks uh, uh, mistake. Yeah. The hockey gods hate us, Anna. <laughs> so I was still at work kind of running up and down a building at this point when um so i only really watched the second period of this whilst i was on a bus but um yeah it was a bad start and it got worse from there it just felt like the canucks were completely deflated um by that start and just they didn't really generate anything they were scoring chances but like to say they were good scoring chances i think would be a generous reading of the game yeah, and I agree. The Canucks, though, despite having good opportunities, continued to go and do what they could to ensure that the game was getting away from them quick, right? Because you get that Marshawn goal and you somewhat recover from it, only to then get another, you know, late uh, power play and proceed to give the Bruins a second goal on the second shorthanded goal. Um, And I think at this point, the wind is out of the sails, two shorthanded goals given up in one period. You're down to well going into the intermission, but you're right, but that can't happen. Like we saw, we'll go into the games of the weekend, but you can have a bad period. You can't let that bad period define your game. And it did feel like the Canucks did allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to sit here and say Boston, like, you know, Vancouver Canucks lost the game. Boston didn't win it. Like, it was a 4 nothing game. Like, Boston were obviously decent. But it wasn't, mm-hmm. like, the dominant performance from Boston that kind of signifies. It's more just a flat performance from Vancouver. Well, I don't even know if you could call it a flat performance, considering they come out of the sec, uh, second or the first intermission of the second period and give up a third goal. Like you, you've just been, probably been read the riot act by your head coach, right? Like that's yeah, like, definitely 
talking. That's happened. We know. Modus operandi. Yeah, like he's, and your response is like, oh man, we better go and either, you know, prove our coach that we're still in it. Or alternatively, he's, he thinks he's pissed off now. Yeah. You know, how about we give up two goals in a minute? Well, okay. Anna, you took a little wind out of my sail there because, you know, the 34 second goal, um, really pissed your coach off, but you know, how you, you know, he kicked that up a notch. Yeah. Two goals in less than a minute, 40, like 15 seconds later, Pavel Zaka scores. Uh, what's interesting. Thatcher stays in the net. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not faulting Thatcher necessarily, but there are very few tools available to a team or a coach to utilize over the course of a game. And it's not to suggest that Vancouver is outright done at this point when in fact they are, but do you not consider like, okay, I'm going to pull my starter and give them some more rest because this one's out of hand and uh, off you go. But yeah, Thatcher stays in for the full game. Vancouver Canucks don't give up any more goals. Um, but, uh, I think yeah. both the Bruins were happy with the lead and the Canucks were looking ahead to the weekend. Yeah. I don't know. I'm torn on this one because I do think hockey's like, like any sport, but any elite sport is so much mental game and like that's just definitely that stubborn goalie that wants to turn the performance around and fair play. He like didn't give up any more goals, but like you say, that's a tool pulling your goalie is a tool to use to motivate your team's performance and sometimes it's not about you as a goalie and you just have to see if there's a route back into this that involves your team playing better in front of a new new guy yeah and and to put things into further perspective you know had the connects checked out of this game by then totally uh the uh, remainder of the the second period they actually did get more shots than they did in the first. Like it, the Canucks had what three power plays in the first, like four shots the entire period, nine shots in the second, but then they got four shots in the third. Like not, not good. Uh, also not necessarily a good sign though. I do feel that some people are liking the style of play. Uh, you had Nikita Zorov uh, getting himself into the sin bin a couple times in the third period uh, with some not over the top play, but maybe some overzealous, I don't know, tude, yeah, antics, right? Sure. Well, the point being is, you know, it's it's that it's that thing that people like to see—the grit and sandpaper. But right, this I, might be indicative of something that may be happening over the course of the weekend. Yeah, he's definitely a player that plays on the edge, and that's the kind of danger with those kind of players, right? As we'll see in the yeah. next game. So let's talk about that edge. So the Vancouver Canucks uh, find themselves in the Motor City for a nice early Saturday morning game. Uh, I missed it. Uh, my daughter had skating lessons, and then we had reservations to go for brunch afterwards. So ultimately, I was sort of paying attention to C4 Discord and the bot we have that runs could provide an update. And I take a look, and I'm like, oh, the Vancouver Canucks, they've got this one. Right? Like, this is, to me... That the Canucks are going to win. So color me surprised when I see that the Vancouver Canucks lost in overtime 4-3. This blows my mind. They completely dominated the Red Wings in the, in the second period. Well, for those of you who watched the game, you know that the Vancouver Canucks, not to be outdone uh, in Boston, decided that let's give up another goal a minute into the period just to, you know, show that we're consistent. Uh, Raymond getting the Red Wings up one buzz. 45 seconds into the first period. Yep. Uh, Sensing a theme. Again, you know, it's not that the Canucks can't come back, but I would like it if once in a while they decided that that wasn't the way to go about creating exciting hockey in the NHL. Uh, but unlike the first intermission conversation that Talkett had had in Boston, this conversation worked in Detroit because the second period Vancouver Canucks came out on fire. Hoglander, Ronick, and Pedersen all scoring goals putting the Canucks up 3-1. And, you know, to put things into perspective, the Vancouver Canucks didn't look outclassed in the first period per se, but based on what I've heard, read, and seen a little bit of, Detroit certainly did in the second. Yeah, for sure. I think a good way to put it is, like, I mean, in the first period, I did say that 
bit Canucks sound were playing like someone described scoring to them once in a loud bar. So it's mm-hmm. like they knew what scoring was. They just weren't quite sure how to do it. And there was a huge step up in the second period for sure. Maybe they watched the little featurette they had for Chinese New Year of Boomy, the cat, bear, yeah. cartoon panda. Not sure. But maybe they watched that and they were motivated by it. Because um, they're thinking if a cartoon cat can play hockey, surely we can. So, um, yeah, they like it was a huge step up. And just like that um, line with um, Hoglander and Pedersen playing together and some third wheel guy called Pia Suda. Like, it's just so fun to see. It's so fun to watch them playing together certainly is third period uh, the vancouver connects i feel we're guilty of not actively looking ahead to sunday but maybe passively um they got opportunities but their mistakes ultimately were what cost them uh power play marker to start off the third period and then uh, only what five or so minutes later rasmussen scores uh, to tie that game up in the third period And then from that point on, Vancouver did look like they were interested in not going beyond three, but uh, had no opportunity or no real opportunity to make that a reality. So we get to go for overtime. And uh, in overtime, if you happen to take a little too long to hit the can, uh, you probably missed out on the fact that uh, uh, Detroit had scored a goal on an overtime penalty shot, a very rare occurrence. Considering yeah. that um, one, uh, usually when there is a breakaway in uh, overtime, it's like three on zero. Oh. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, Quinn Hughes is called for uh, for tripping, um, and then Jake Wallman goes in, scores the the overtime marker, gets the Detroit Red Wings the two points. Vancouver only gets the loser. Yeah, I mean one like. Anyone that was saying it was not penalty shot, it's just like people being too used to penalty shots not being called, especially in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as you say, the circumstances rarely line up for it, but like penalty shots just like don't get called anywhere near enough for the amount of times they should be. Like, what is a scoring opportunity that has yeah. been taken away? So I didn't mind it, but yeah, it's you don't mind seeing a chippy game from a team that is fine that is winning but when they allowed their lack of discipline to you know give the detroit uh way back into the game that's when you're just thinking it looks messy here i'm curious i'm just gonna go off the rails here penalty shots in hockey um are you the of the opinion that the penalty shot is an appropriate uh, use of a call or would you be of the mindset that a team should choose whether they accept the penalty shot or take the two minute minder that would have been called had it not been a scoring opportunity no i i like penalty shots i think they should be called more than they are but not a lot well no no but that's the reason that i I'm, i ask this question is i think one of the reasons that you don't see the penalty shot called more frequently is that there are some teams that would use the fact the penalty shot is like is less likely to result in a goal than let's say a two minute power play might be. Yeah, but um, right. But, so, and I can see that, but like, why have it? Like, either we completely get rid of it, and that's really just the most boring s- solution. Um, well, I feel like, but that thing is like, I I feel that the offending. Like the right now, the NHL officials are hesitant to call penalty shots because it is of their mind that the offending team is deliberately trying to stop play to generate the penalty shot as opposed to the penalty potential of a power play. So if you are going to award a penalty shot, and I'm perfectly fine if you want to award more penalty shots, but it should be that the, um, uh, team that was impeded or what have you has the choice and they can elect to say, I'll take the penalty shot or I'll take the two minute power play. I, I get what you're saying. I just think um, 
I don't think teams are doing that because penalty shots are called so rarely that I don't think what? teams are tactically doing it to I don't know, but then enforce the... a penalty shot. And I think it's Why cool. Are... Like, isn't I, it... I'm not saying I like the penalty shot, but like the, to me, I feel like NHL referees, if there's one thing sure. that I think most people would agree upon, they themselves try to but, like, manage the game. Right. But I do feel like we're like focusing on the wrong problem here. The problem is referees not doing their job properly then. Well, that's not going to ever change. But then, like, to me, the I bigger just problem don't, is I, changing the refer the things changing the referees. Okay, yeah, I mean, maybe you're right, but to me, I'm like that seems like a backwards way of solving it. And I like that it has to be the person this like the taking NHL. the penalty shot. Yeah, you're right. Like, maybe that would solve <laughs> it quicker, but I don't want to see that. You're not wrong. Like nothing you're saying is wrong. And I would wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with you, but I have just accepted that the NHL is going to continue to NHL and that NHL referees will continue to NHL referee. And therefore I'm like, okay, well, considering I can't deal with those, is there anything else that I can introduce to try to get the results that I would like? Uh, more calls. Um, back on the rails, the Vancouver Canucks take that loser point and find themselves a uh, you know, high-stepping it into the uh, capital of the United States, uh, Washington, D.C. And, um, well, you know, Vancouver thought that uh, it would be kind of cool to take the hard route again. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, why not? Moral victory. They do not give up a goal within the first minute of the period. Yep. I mean, I still missed it. Because how long into the period what did they give up a goal? One oh eight. Yeah. Nick Dowd, one oh eight. Um the Again, I, I didn't see a lot of this game. Um Super Bowl Sunday, daughter doing stuff, all that jazz. But uh, what little I did see, um, it did seem like a game that the Vancouver Canucks and the Washington Capitals had accepted was a necessity. And the sooner that they get it over and done with, they could sit down and watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I, I mean, clearly that was their preference. Um, but then narratively, that didn't work out because, yeah, Canucks once again decided they were going to do things the hard way and go to overtime. Mm -hmm. But, like, once again, we saw Niels Honglander doing special, wonderful, fun things. And once again, we saw Connor Garland doing maybe less aesthetically pleasing things. But, yeah, he's always just the hardest working guy out there. And he actually got rewarded with a goal um, in the first period there. Yeah. And I I actually failed to mention, because I took myself off the rails. I was so insistent on going off the rails. Um, Zadorov, uh, not available for the game in Washington. Why was that, Anna? Yeah, I mean, he did, I was about to say perform a headshot. Committed a headshot. Um, anyway, um, he has been banned by player safety for two games for a shot to the head. Do, like, I'm not mad at it. Like, I think you can say all you want that it was accidental, but he didn't take any precautions whatsoever to make it, an, like, a safe play. And um, I'd rather those be punished more harshly because those have the biggest like injury risk mm -hmm. um turns out not in this case raymond was fine but um yeah that can be like the scariest injuries really so i don't mind seeing that punished yeah so like having Watch the replay. And I like this again. I know NHL player department player safety is inconsistent as well. They play the, the wheel of justice uh, far too often, but I do like that when they go and they, they talk about the suspension and they show the replay, they walk through, here's what we, what we saw. And this is why we're doing it. You know, Zadorov made contact with a player's head and like Zadorov was going for body, 
players leaning forward. You could say, well, the player had his head down. Again, you and I have talked about this. A player with their head down is in a vulnerable position. That doesn't give you, you know, Scott Stevens opening to go and end his career. Not suggesting Zadorf is going to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that's the thing. People, if and but, the whole thing, like, if Roman had his head up, if he was taller, if Zadorf was shorter. And it's like, but they aren't. They have the bodies they have, and you've got to, like, act accordingly. Zadorov is a bigger player. Sometimes he'll get penalized just for being a bigger player, and Tyler Myers, like, is very familiar with that. But to me, it was a case of he is a taller, bigger player, um, so he needs to be more careful than he was being. It was reckless. It was, and that's, you know, and there's so many different things about that hit. You have Zadorov going left to right. Um like to a player going up and down like it's just it's a bad hit and you know yes the match penalty was assessed in the game there's someone like well he got the game why does he get two more well that's okay i will give you an argument that the player uh the player the department of player safety spins the wheel and they come up with the number i'm not unhappy with the two games to me that if that's if that was consistently applied or more yeah, I think we have the responsibility to praise them when they get it right and not just point out, but they got it wrong, like, tons of times before. Yes, and they will get it wrong again. But this time, I'm I'm fine with what they, what happened. Yeah. So, anyhow, Zadorov was not available uh, for the game against the Capitals. Uh, but matter not, that did because the Vancouver Canucks did decode the uh, two points in a 3-2 overtime winner. Um, the fact remains, though, the Vancouver Canucks, if we were to go and look at their schedule, uh, have found a way to get five points out of a possible eight. Five out of eight is a positive record. Yes. Okay. Loser point. But... The thing to keep in mind is that the Vancouver Canucks were going out on the road after a long break. That's actually not a horrible result. And if I recall correctly, because again, I'm trying to think back to when we recorded, I believe you and I had said there was going to be a win and a loss with Boston and Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you had said that they would get the W, then the L. I had said I'm worried about the first game. And if they lose that, they'll win in Boston. But I right. agreed it was going to be One a win out of those two. Yeah. And then we talked about the Red Wings Capitals. And I think we both agreed they were going to take a loser point in one of those games and they would get two points in the other. I think you have to give us that. Yeah. Because and an I can't overtime loss which or an overtime win. Wait, we predicted um, is, it. Yeah. No, I, and I can't. But like, and not only that, the Capitals, if they give them a point, who cares? They matter, they matter very yeah, exactly. little to the Vancouver Canucks. The East just do not count to no. anything. But uh, that sets the Vancouver Canucks to wrap up the road trip in Chicago, um, a team that continues to be rewarded uh, by the league for um, such good hockey operations or whatever it is. Um, yeah, just shining examples of what hockey should be and what organizations should be doing on and off the ice. Yeah. Uh, we won't see a future Vancouver Canuck Connor Bedard. Um, he is still on the uh, IR. Uh, after that game, the Vancouver Canucks uh, come home to play two before getting on the road again. Uh, they take on the Detroit Red Wings on Thursday night and the Winnipeg Jets, who are pretty darn hot in their own right uh, on Saturday night for a little hockey night in Canada. Uh, Anna, what do you predict is going to happen this week? Um, so I'm going to the Red Wings game, so I'm going to oh. predict to win there. Um, yeah. I'm going to predict an ugly win in Chicago where Canucks make it look really difficult, just like they did in Vancouver. Um, and then I'm going to predict a, mm, I'll, yeah, I'm going to say a, a loss to the Jets. Oh, <gasps> Anna. Yeah, obviously the Jets aren't as hot as they were, but I still, yeah. But, like, what we have seen, I will say, like, what we have seen this week is Canucks don't get in ruts. Like, they they barely ever, what, they lost two in a row twice this year? Or maybe three times? Mm -hmm. Um, And they have never lost four in a row. Like... 
they keep getting points um, even when they're not necessarily winning the game. So, like, resilient Canucks, right? So, even if I am predicting a Jets win, I don't think that's a massive deal. What about you? Um, so, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm giving the Vancouver Canucks three Ws. Nice. It's a triple dub week in my books. And I'm honestly going to eat my words. Like, I, I'm not feeling good about the triple dub, but I feel that the Vancouver Canucks will beat the Blackhawks. Like, again, this is a team who's bottom of, uh, well, not bottom of the division. Uh, actually, no, they are. The San Jose Sharks have two more points than they do. <laughs> uh, bottom of the division, bottom of the conference. Uh, dash 74 on the season. Like, you don't lose to that team. I know the Vancouver Canucks like to prove that that's not always true, but they get the dub there. Uh, I don't feel that the Vancouver Canucks are going to lose at home to Detroit, especially how they technically were in control until they weren't in Detroit. And when Winnipeg comes to town, Hockey Night in Canada, I feel that the Vancouver Canucks will elevate their game. Yes, the Jets are a good team, but I think the Vancouver Canucks are better. And the only way that you can prove that is by beating those teams. So three dubs. Nice. Okay, good. Look at you being super positive. I love it. I know it's so unusual and uh, not what this podcast is about normally, but Hey, maybe I've turned a new leaf or alternatively next week I come to you and I tell you the sky is falling and how stupid was I regardless, I'm going to take a brief break and maybe you should too. This is the Seahawk Canucks hockey podcast brought to you by uh, Anna and Chris. Take hitting out of the game. You can't hit anymore, so don't do it. The unsportsmanlike conduct, I want to get an explanation on. No kidding. Because how do you get suspended for unsportsmanlike conduct? Plus interference. There's no interference there. He had the puck. Now, Madison never ever did that before. Now, why did he do it? That Because he was mad. Well, your early favorite for the Calder (laughs) Trophy, that's for sure. Elias Pettersson, you might even say your early favorite for the Hart Trophy. (laughs) Just to get back to your question, Elias is going to play plenty. He's going to get a lot of power play time and... Yeah, I'm concerned about our offense. We lost 200-point players, and we've got to find a way to score. I like how you put in the rundown here for full half-empty. Will Canucks' ill-discipline and defensive liabilities come back to bite them? Um, Yeah, I just had to check they did spell that right, because the amount of times autocorrect wanted to change that to aisle. Mm, We did put ill. I I copied it. Okay. I would have probably called you out if it had said aisle. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, once again, we, like, we kind of let our cynical minds get to work here because, like, Canucks are still having a great season um, on course to comfortably ride into the playoffs. But we've seen this week especially where their game can fall apart and that is in hanging their goalie out to try um so basically losing coverage in front of the net i think it would be Mm -hmm. fair to say and yeah taking them penalties or giving away a penalty shot as it were yeah i i i agree i think other piece that I would add there is the fact that the Vancouver Canucks are getting far too casual um, when they do have control of the puck. So, yeah. you know, case in point, the shorthanded goals that we're seeing the Vancouver Canucks give up is are quite often due to either lazy passes or really casual play. And it's almost like teams are picking up on this now and providing that added pressure while on the kill. And Vancouver is kind of folding at the first sign of pressure, not something we had seen earlier in the season. Uh, The defensive lapses, I'm not entirely surprised it's occurring. I think everyone who was watching the Vancouver Canucks um, at the start of the season kept saying, wow, this, this defense is really holding up. This defense is doing what we didn't expect that they were going to do. Well, now they're sort of coming back to earth and that's not a bad thing. It's just the reality that now we're starting to see what we had expected to see. That does obviously put more pressure on on Thatcher or or Case, depending on who happens to be in that. The discipline, however, that's the part that really irritates me. 
Um, you know, earlier this season, you heard me go off about too many men calls, bench minors. Like these are the penalties that you yeah. should not have. Which seem to be coming Canucks back again. Spades. And yes, that's, that's the thing. Like one of the, you know, special teams goals they gave up uh, this uh, past week was due to a too many men on the ice call. And I feel that again, these, these types of, of penalties and the poor discipline that we're seeing from the Canucks are things that they themselves can control. So of those three things we've pointed out, two are well within the Vancouver Canucks ability to deal with, and they don't seem yet to have figured out how to. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? That's like Rick Tockett's thing is systems and discipline. And that has changed, like completely turned the team around is sticking to systems and being disciplined. And we're just seeing a little, you know, cracks begin to form in that because the too many men thing is infuriating. Like, obviously, we make jokes all the time when it happens that Canucks cannot count. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not what's happening. What's happening is, like, they're getting their timing wrong. The communication isn't there. Or they panic. And, like, none of those should happen with a Rick Tockett hockey team. Um, they just, they just shouldn't, like, and they shouldn't be happening, like, the lapses we were talking about, they definitely shouldn't be happening on set plays, like a special team. Yeah, that, that, that just drives me nuts. Those shorthanded goals that they've been giving up, I think of all the irritants are the most. Yeah. Like, you are a team who's built right now to take advantage of teams while on the power play. This is very similar to what we saw the 2011 team do, uh, the 2012 team do. And yet, what you're seeing now is a version that can do that and provide that sort of, you know, uh, grit and sandpaper style play that people complained was devoid in, in 2011, 2012. Though I would disagree. It just wasn't as prevalent. Giving up shorthanded goals there sucks. And not only that, it gives the team that you're playing so much more confidence that they can take advantage of you. Um, so that that confidence that they're manufacturing based on your mistakes allows them to then do even better, thus taking away that advantage you have. Um, if this team does not remedy these issues, and I don't know how they fix defensive liabilities that they have like their blue line is it has been acquitting itself above its pay grade for sure as long as like right? but that that's gonna that's gonna degrade and if, yeah you know maybe we'll get into this in a moment if there's ways to sort of fill those holes maybe but let's say that doesn't happen you got to fix those other two areas yeah because like let's be honest noah jilson is having the season of his life we were at the beginning of the season saying, like, his rope has run out. Like, this guy needs to sit. Um, he wasn't playing well. He didn't it's sit. like a magician who keeps pulling the you know rope out of the hat. You think it's almost done, and guess what? It just keeps coming. I know. He didn't sit. Like, it was, um, Rick Hockett can be ruthless, and I, um, no doubt he might have been very direct with Noah Jilson and ruthless in practice and... Um, but yeah, he didn't sit, and he has improved just like leaps and bounds. He's a crazy good, like, just really solid um, defensive player with some offensive acumen as well, picking out some really good passes. Mark Freeman came in today in the place of Zadorov. Looked fine to good, mm-hmm. I would say. Like, didn't look out of place there. Ian Cole definitely providing that grit and the most part like solid tyler myers is tyler myers and actually to give tyler myers credit he's actually been a better version of tyler myers this season than tyler yes. myers of previous seasons i agree but i would say we have seen the tyler myers goes walkabout wants to be a forward creep back in the last week or two yeah fair play so and that does point towards is like is this the point where you look at for a stay-at-home defenseman who's never gonna like lose his assignments um and who might that be i don't know maybe it's some a familiar face in calgary but 
no doubt that the defense core has actually played better than we thought. Obviously, there's a door of addition as well. But, yeah. It's more just the case of when it gets to, like, deeper into the playoffs. Is there more than better than we thought? Like, do we need to have more assurance than that? Yeah. The blue line, I think, and let's sort of talk about that as a segue into the next point we wanted to discuss here, how of empty. It's the priority come trade deadline. Um, whether that be Chris Tanev, who's currently playing his trade in the uh, city of Calgary uh, for the Flames on the uh, final year of his deal there, the one that he signed in Calgary when the Vancouver Canucks had ran out of forgot time. about him, like weirdest situation. But hey, whatever. I haven't moved on. Um, <laughs> I think that deal, if it can be done would be good for the Vancouver Canucks in so much as they get a player who you can trust, who's reliable, and maybe you try to re-sign reasonable numbers to sort of provide you that foundation that you know you can lean on sort of in the twilight of his career. However, Vancouver is not in a good position as it pertains to the cap. Like right now in LTIR, they have just over a million dollars available to them. The uh, TANF deal is a four-something in the year, so I suspect while the Vancouver Canucks could technically fit him-ish with mm-hmm. something going back to Calgary's way, they don't have a lot of wiggle room. Um, There's no salary to, cap in the playoffs, Chris. No, but it's the <laughs> so salary cap get. you have to worry about to get him <laughs> for the, to that point, right? Uh, yeah. Are there any players that the Vancouver Canucks can LTIR until the end of the season, at which point they magically show up? Because I think that's how you win win cups. Tampa Bay's yeah. written a book on it. Um, yeah, that's a interesting point. <laughs> um, I believe Cousins well, Suicide's not on LTIR, right? So... Yeah, well, so you throw him there and he comes back on, you know, for the first game of the playoffs. Um, you know, I, okay, let, let the word, let's say cap's not the issue to bring a tan of. What would the price of the Vancouver Canucks be that they'd have to pay to get him? Keep in mind that the Vancouver Canucks uh, did take Kuzmenko, who was arguably one of their best, tr- you know, trade, trade chips. chips. Yeah, for sure. And have, manufactured the Lindholm trade with it uh, amongst a few other pieces, including a pick Uh, the Vancouver Canucks for 2024. They have a a third as well as a fourth. They have two sixth and a seventh, not the types of picks that usually help you get deals done. Um, If we then look in 2025, they got a whole bunch of picks, say for around three and 2026, same thing. Oh, in 2026, they're also without their seventh. Um, You know, there's some depth that, Calgary might be interested in. Uh, But the thing about the Calgary Flames is they're in this sort of weird position right now where they aren't really out of it. No, and that's the interesting thing, right? You, like, kind of want to be dealing with teams that are thinking sell the farm. Let's especially a player in an expiring contract, an older player in an expiring contract. Um, I'm not just saying this, but I do think Calgary should maybe consider looking at next year um, mm. at this point. I mean, Canucks do have some... I was going to say prospects. Like, is I don't know if he still counts as a prospect, but Colson is still a good trade chip okay right but like you know i this is the part with the vancouver canucks that that i am i struggle with when the kuzmenko deal or kuzmenko lindholm deal happens and a first round pick goes along with it i'm like oh you give up a first and the people like oh chris it's more like a second because where the canucks are going to probably find themselves at the end of the season and i don't disagree and again if this is the type of deal that you make for an opportunity to go for the cup, you make it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. It's, I'm all on board with that. But let's say 
<laughs> you know, and I'm getting back to my cynical self here. You're a long time, uh, long time suffering Vancouver Canucks fan. And you've come to realize that nothing ever goes the Canucks way. This might be a one and done window. So how are you going to fill those cupboards back up when you've emptied them and you've gotten rid of your means to fill them? Well, I mean, sure, a little bit, but like, if that's the case, isn't it just a case of this was a weak draft yet anyway? Like, that's why we look at next year. It's not so much the picks that hurt. It's the prospects too. Like, I feel like you've put put holes in, I think is a, you're right. It is a trade ship. There's some doubt. There's probably some desirability amongst the NHL for a player like him yet. He has gone to Abbotsford and is doing what has been asked of him from what I can understand. Yes. I would say he's not exactly been the dominant force. They wanted him to be down there. And obviously the like injury, head injury that he suffered plus just he i believe suffered a different lower body injury anyway that didn't help but uh, i'm not saying they made up their mind on pod calls in obviously not like look at a player like neil hoglander who you know fell out with the previous regime clearly they did not uh he was not a bruce boudreau guy for sure but he's spent an entire season down in abbotsford almost um look at look at him go but um yeah i think this is probably a good way to segue into talking about abbotsford in general sure and i'll admit that it was a bit of a red herring in the rundown because in my opinion the answer to is there some depth in abbotsford that can help canucks down out like down the stretch and into the playoffs nothing major that's going to be a difference maker that's my assessment and mm-hmm. i wanted to say it because um i believe it was as we were was it as we were recording last week but um Arshdeep baines obviously he went to the i believe it was actually on monday he went to the hl all-star weekend he was a day late because of weather in the bay area so he missed the skills competition. But yeah, he was the AHL All-Star MVP. He's quite a player. And I believe, I still believe that to be the case. Is he a difference maker in the NHL? Not right now. Um, Christian Willanen is like arguably still the best defenseman in the AHL. Although definitely not as, I like, I wouldn't say that as loudly as I would have done last year. But again... Is he anything more than a serviceable insert into your bottom pairing? No. Yeah, I. So I, as everyone knows, don't really follow the the Baby Canucks all that well. Um, but based on what I, what little I know, the Abbotsford Canucks are structured as the sort of futures team. Um, there'll be like a player like Arsh Baines. I don't feel you bring him up for a playoff run outside to be one of the aces sitting upstairs. Right? Yeah. And Keeping he's definitely around the team. Yeah. He's definitely one of those players that really could be a leading light, like has that NHL leading light potential. <laughs> Not for a while. Yeah. The thing though, is that the Abbotsford Canucks as sort of, you know, how they're performing, um, place i mean this is the this is the struggle you you've got a team who's middle of the road in the ahl but the ahl playoffs and nhl playoffs happen at a very similar time do you start to accept that ah we're gonna have a bunch of these players come up to be the aces and quite literally sign the uh potential early departure for a team that might to make it in or well, I'm speaking as someone that I love watching Abbotsford. I, I would say I haven't really done it too much in the last couple of weeks, but like, as much as I'd love to let them exist in a vacuum of their own team playing for their own community, they're not like they're a farm team for Vancouver. And I think the 
like with um Ran Johnson being like the player development head and the uh, GM of Abbotsford, like that's just so clear to me that that the organization see it as a holistic, you know, thing of whatever's best for the club, and they're certainly not going to have any qualms in mm-hmm. like making Vancouver the best it can be this year of all years. So yeah, sorry to hmm. um, the people of Abbotsford, but yeah, that's Anna. the reality of it. You're no longer going to be welcomed. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Uh, you know, and I please, if you're listening, you're like, well, there's another option. They don't bring up the aces until after the Abbey Canucks are done. That's probably the route as to which they would go. Um, but if we're talking about the potential of making it in to an NHL playoff game. There are deadlines that are required to be met to allow for the player to be eligible. And in that particular case, that is more the quandary. Um, But based on what Anna has said earlier, probably not something to worry about. I was actually just looking at uh, cap friendly just to sort of, you know, peruse the Vancouver Canucks, uh, you know, cap situation here. And uh, lo and behold, uh, they don't have too many blue liners beyond this season. Um, the only, well, I guess three, cause Juleson's currently with the big club. So we have to count him as that. Uh, the only three that will be back next season are Quinn, uh, Carson and Noah. Mm-hmm. There is a fourth. There's actually a fourth and a fifth. Um, yeah. Tucker Pullman and Guillaume Brisebois. But yes. Um, all respects in the world to him, but I don't see Tucker Pullman ever playing professional hockey ever again. Yeah. Uh, so the Vancouver Canucks are in a position where they're going to have to go and repopulate that side of the pantry. Uh, if you look at what they have available in Abbotsford, as you had pointed out, you know, is there a player down there that's going to crack the Canucks lineup? Maybe Willannon does. Um, I think Jolson's in a really good spot to make an argument, especially with a good camp that he stays and starts to populate a, a depth role. Um, but you would ask like, who are the Vancouver Canucks top six right now? And I feel you have Hughes, Ronick, Zdorov, uh, Susie, when healthy Cole Myers. Yes. I mean, to me, also, I was asking that question to go back onto the forward lines, but... um, Oh, the top six of that. That top six are just um, because of Nils Hoglander's recent entry, but worth having that conversation at both ends of the lineup, really. Um, Yeah, because Carson Susie, when healthy, it's not like he has a pattern of injury in terms of he is re-injuring or has a weakness that keeps happening, but he has been incredibly unlucky this season. So it's, Mm -hmm. I think he's good when he's there, but um, he hasn't been in the lineup with any regularity for us to say whether he has that longevity as a player. So, but uh, yes, I think we will see that as we go into next year. So who are your top six at the top? I mean, I do think that, like, PDN Hoglander just... I don't think we need to make um, hard and fast decisions, but it's working. And I think there's a huge... Like, we talked about the mental game. Like, Quinn loves playing with Philip Hronek, and that is such a mental boost. PD loves playing with Niels Hoglander, Suda seems to serve them well. So I think um, playing um, Miller Besser centered by Lindholm and then whatever way you want to call it, first, second line, and Pedersen back in his natural center position um, with Hogland and Suda on his wings. I like Mm -hmm. that. I do. Like, I love the lotto line, don't get me wrong, and we had so much fun, like... Two weeks ago, we were talking about it just like it would never end. But all things have to end. 
Well, the, the struggle with, the, and again, back then, the struggle is a lot of line put together was more of a, we got to do something for PD. Whereas now the Vancouver Canucks have a lineup that they can do something with PD, for PD with. Yeah, yeah. And I think right. Niels Hogland is thriving, so. Um, and I, I, the, Neil, Niels was not the issue. No, for sure not. But like yeah. he was, like, I don't know how Canucks like think that putting him on a line with two struggling wingers is just gonna magically turn it around for him. Like he's gonna be happy at playing. Got magic. He does have that, and like I'm not saying maybe, he's not maybe, good enough. Maybe it's to... like five D chess. You know what? If you're not gonna resign with us, well, gosh darn it, we're gonna make you miserable. Yeah, and like respect to. Ilya Mikheyev, but he struggled since coming back from his injury. Not like long term, he hasn't put it together. Um, and yeah, to me, I'm like make PD happy and reward Neil Sanglander for his efforts and never break up that third line ever. Hmm. That's my thoughts and feelings. And whatever's left can play on the fourth line. Yeah, like sounds good to me. Yeah. That's pretty much it. The, the fourth line is kind of a land of broken toys, and maybe that's so is it, a it, problem. Is yeah. broke, a land of broken toys, or if we were to use the uh, Christmas cartoon Rudolph the Red Reindeer, Island of Misfit Toys? I think that's what I was probably thinking of. Okay. I've just got the. I haven't seen Rudolph, and I just have heard the expression and misremembered. Wait, you haven't it. seen that old school, like Rudolph? No, it's stop animation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen images Anna, from it. Sorry. Next next holiday season, we okay. have to remedy this. Okay? Like, I'm sorry. Can we make this, it this into a, unacceptable. a drinking game somehow? Oh, probably. Okay. There's probably ways to do that. Uh, anyhow, speaking of drinking games, the Vancouver Canucks don't get me the triple dub like I had asked. I might start drinking again. Uh, although I say again, I've never really started drinking like i maybe have to start to do it again regardless the point is i want the triple dub but we are at the point where at the end of the show we start to plug all sorts of things like supporting us at c4 discord or not yeah c4 discord.com that's where you can support us in the regards of a conversation uh you can also support us by following us on all the social media platforms uh either twitter or x or whatever the heck you call it at the c4 podcast we're on threads at the real c4 podcast and you can support us financially which currently has been rebranded to buy anna a computer but that's support.c4podcast.com and that allows you to kick a few bucks our way uh, support us on a monthly basis or commit to the full year with an annual contribution which is actually slightly less than if you were to do it for 12 months at the monthly rate but Anna, got any uh, final words you wish to share with uh, everyone uh, this week? Um, so we didn't have an F word section, which was like um, a nice relief. But I will do a quick F word, and that is F all the racists on Twitter. Um, friend of the show, Satya Shah, like posted a response he got when he was calling out very legitimately the dumb Morgan Riley response to the empty net goal um, because it was taken as a slap shot and he took exception to that. And the amount of hate he got back, which was largely like racially motivated, just horrible. So just get the hell out of here. Um, We really just hate to see all of that and couldn't be a nicer guy. So sorry, you have to deal with that sat and get out of here bigots, please. Yeah. The uh, anyone who thought, you know, Sat was wrong, which he isn't. The uh, discipline will be more than five games because Riley's got an in-person hearing. Yeah. So, so what Riley did was wrong on all sorts of different levels, and you doing what you're doing makes that far less an issue. Yeah. Stop being an idiot. Uh, Final words of wisdom for me. Don't drink uh, open liquids near your electronics. Thanks. Good advice. So on behalf of myself, Chris at Lightforce, Anna at E4603, 
signing off uh, the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast with We Out.